All right, guys. Uh, if you have your Bible, go ahead and find the Gospel of John, chapter 11. This morning, we're another week in our study through John's Gospel that we're studying through this school year. Last two weeks, we've been in chapter 10, where Jesus gave us two of his seven I am statements. Where we've been given particular attention to those. In the last chapter, he said in verses 7 and 9, I am the door of the sheep. And then in verses 11 and 14, I am the good shepherd. Prior to that, we've already seen him say in chapter 6, I am the bread of life. In chapter 7, I am the light of the world. So uh, this morning we're going to be in chapter 11, and we're going to find here the fifth of the seven I am statements in the gospel. Uh, and with this one, uh, it, it, we're coming also to one of the most well-known stories in the Gospel of John, uh, particularly the account of Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead after making the statement in verse 25, I am the resurrection and the life. This is the statement and this is the story that I want us to think about for a few minutes today. Um, John has been good throughout this Gospel up to this point to emphasize the deity of Jesus Christ. We've said a lot about that that he's God in human flesh, but he's also shown in the different miracles and signs that he's done and the things that he said that he's not just God above us and high and holy and majestic, but he is God with us. And he's not just a beyond us and apart for with us and for us. So we'll see that again today. Um, so before we go any further, let's, if you're in John 11, let's read our passage. We'll begin reading in verse 1 and read through verse 44 uh, before we dive deeper into it. John 11, beginning in verse 1. Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and, Mar and, and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sisters sent to him saying, Lord, he, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, this illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. And then after this, he said to the disciples, let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you. And are you going there again? Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of the world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. After saying these things, he said to them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awake him. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will recover. Now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought that he meant taking rest in sleep. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died. And for your sake, I'm glad that I was not there so that you may believe, but let us go to him. So Thomas, called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. Now, when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. 
So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him. But Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? And she said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God who is coming into the world. When she had said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, The teacher is here and is calling for you. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who were, there, who were with her in the house, consoling her, saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But when Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, Where have you laid him? So they said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. So the Jews said, See how he loved him. But some of them said, Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, Take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The man who had died came out his hands and feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. Let's pray. Oh Lord, this is your holy, inspired, inerrant, sufficient, clear, authoritative, and necessary word. And we recognize it to be that. It is not merely the word of John. It is your word through him. It is both the word of man and the word of God. Because it, it has you speaking by your Holy Spirit through John. It is all those things. And so we, uh, we ask your help to study your word today. We ask that you might give us eyes to see truth in this passage. That you might help us to understand with our minds what we see. And then to embrace in our hearts uh, what, we, what we see here. And love it. Love the truth. Love you. And give us wills to obey what it is you might lead us and call us to do here. Give us all ears to hear, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so um, looking more closely at this passage here, I just want to, 
I just want to walk through the flow of the passage. I just want to take it as it comes um, and, and sort of just, yeah, I think each, each section of this story has something important to teach us. And so here's how we're going to divide it up if you're taking notes. First, in verses 1 through 17, we're going to see what I'll, I'll call the setup. It's, sort of, it's not just the setting. We've, we've often focused on the setting of a story uh, as John, he's good to give us setting details, but this is more than just the mere setting. It's almost like the setup for what is going to take place. This is the part of the passage where it's setting the stage for the climactic events of Jesus' statement and of his rising, raising Lazarus from the dead. Verses 1 to 17, the setup. And then verse, from verses 17 to, to, to 37, we'll think about the scene itself. When Jesus arrives there in Bethany, how he is greeted What's going on around him when he makes this statement in verse 25, I am the resurrection and the life. And then finally, verses 38 to the end of our passage in verse 44, we'll think about the sign that Jesus gives by raising Lazarus from the dead. Other gospels call this these miracles, uh, and so they are. But John tends to call them signs, that these aren't just amazing things that Jesus did, but these amazing things that Jesus did are pointing us to something. They are signs pointing us to something about him and who he is, right? So let's, let's uh, dive in and take uh, a look uh, first at verses 1 through 17, or actually 16, and all that is going on before Jesus ever sets foot in Bethany in the setup that, that John describes for us here. I don't want us to spend the bulk of our time here, but there are some good things to be noted, so let's, let's take a look at it. There, there isn't really any immediate, by the way, connection between this chapter and, uh, and, and the, the one in chapter 10 that came before it in, in terms of uh, as it happened in real time. We saw that there was a connection, a seamless connection between chapters 9 and 10, but not the same here. There's, there's a break in time and, and scene between the last chapter and, and this one. He has to tell us in verse 1, that we're now in Bethany. We're not in Jerusalem anymore. We're in a town close to Jerusalem called Bethany, which is the town where Mary and Martha lived. You might remember Mary and Martha from uh, another gospel, from Luke chapter 10. Hold your place here, and let's just turn back to Luke chapter 10 for just a moment. Be reacquainted with them. When you find Luke chapter 10, uh, look with me starting in verse 38, and we'll just reacquaint ourselves with Mary and, and Martha. Luke 10, beginning in verse 38. Now, as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village. We know from John's gospel that village was Bethany. And a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving and she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her to, then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. So there you go. That, that's, that's your introduction to Mary and Martha in, in, in the scriptures. And Martha was the busy one. She, she uh, said she was anxious about, Jesus said she was anxious about many things. Mary was the one sitting there listening to Jesus, and she was commended for, for that. But where in this story is Lazarus? He's not mentioned at all in, 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 Mark chap, in, excuse me, in Luke chapter 10. Uh, but back in chapter 11 of John, if you'll turn back to there, um, 
we find him mentioned here. It's not in verse 2 of John 11 that we actually learn that Mary and Martha, who we found in, John, in Luke 10, had, have a brother. And it says uh, in verse 2, it was Mary who anointed, uh, who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother, Lazarus, was ill. Interestingly, by the way, that story about Mary anointing Jesus and washing his feet with her hair isn't actually told until the next chapter. Uh, in John, probably shows it was a well-known event, and they would have been aware of it even before it was written down here. But it's here that we learn that Mary and Martha have a brother named Lazarus. And Mary and, and, Mary and Martha sent word to Jesus uh, in verse 3 to let him know that Lazarus was sick. And in verse 4, Jesus lets us know the reason why all of this was happening in the first place and and that why it was going to unfold the way it was about to unfold. He says in verse 4, this illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. This is, this is the reason why Jesus was about to do everything that he was about to do, which teaches us just a general truth. Um, everything that God does in our lives and the way that he does it is, is for God's glory above all things, that, that Christ would be magnified, that he would be honored, that he would be seen as glorious and treasured by us in the way that he does everything that he does. And so don't, but don't ever think that when we see that, this was, that God, everything God does for us is for his glory, that that is somehow opposed in any way to him doing things in your life for your good. The fact that he does it for his glory is not opposed to the fact that he's also doing it for your good. Those are two ways of doing both things. Any, anything that he does in your life and in mine is for both of those reasons. It's for his glory, but also simultaneously for your good. Now, as soon as I say that, you might doubt it if you're reading the story when we see what happens in the next few verses. Look again at verses 5 and 6. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when, she, when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. What? Just follow the logic of those verses. Jesus loved Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. He loved them. So... So, when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he ran as fast as he could to help him. That's not what he said. No. Jesus loved, he loved Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. So, because he loved them, when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed two days longer where he was. He didn't go get that you know the rest of the story why did he wait two more days before he went to Bethany why did he not move one foot toward Bethany for two whole days when he knew that Lazarus was sick so that Lazarus would be dead not sick when he got there that's the reason he waited so that Lazarus wouldn't be sick anymore he would be dead when he got there he loved Mary and Martha, and he loved Lazarus. 
So he allowed Lazarus to die before he went. He loved Lazarus, so he allowed him to die before he went. If the first four verses of this chapter teach us that God always works uh, in our lives, first and foremost for his glory, and uh, and these verses also teach us that he most certainly works for our good, and that we should not judge that, as the hymn says, by feeble sense. Like we, 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 in this instance, it doesn't immediately look at all like Jesus was acting out of love. Not at all. But he was. And the same thing was, is true in our lives. Sometimes allowing us to go through really low places uh, really helps us to enjoy the high spots all the more. I mean, just think about uh, and, and you know, just think about elsewhere the scripture says, sorrow may last for a night, but joy comes in the morning. And it helps us enjoy the joy more when we experience the sorrow. It, it may not have felt like God's good and gracious hand of providence to Mary and Martha. Uh, in fact, they both tell Jesus when they see him, if you, had, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. They both say that. Martha's going to say it in verse 21. And then Mary's going to say it again in verse 32. I don't know if there was any anger in what they said. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if there was some measure of anger or resentment toward Jesus, knowing that he, I mean, we sent word to you. I mean, they probably already believed that he was at least a, a prophet. They say they believed he's the Christ. It's likely they believed he was divine. And that he already knew, even if they hadn't told him anything. He, he had already done some pretty remarkable things just, just by mere of his omniscience. But we told you, Jesus. We told you days ago. You know, and by the time he gets there, he was dead four days. That's just a long time. Especially in the midst of, of, of grief. I mean, just think about that. Four sleeps. I mean, you know, long days, long days of friends around you, everybody weeping, everyone sad, whole day, morning, sleep, wake up, all over again, long day, all day, morning, sadness, weeping, all around you, sleep, wake up, another day, all day, all around you sleep wake up that's a long time four days is a long time right uh, and they they like to, so they've been they've been grieving all that time and, and the scripture we have to believe it tells us that all of that was done out of love for them even when you don't understand it Mary and Martha didn't certainly understand it. Don't doubt that God works for his glory, but also for your good in everything that he does. Well, back to the story. When you get to verse 7, Jesus knew he had waited long enough, so he simply tells his disciples that they had better head to Bethany. And his disciples obviously knew that they were going to be going right back to the place or the region where they had just tried to stone him to death. Jesus says, don't worry about it. He says in verse 11, 
you're looking at your Bible. Our friend has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. To which they basically say in verse 12, Jesus, if he's sleeping, he'll wake up. Which Jesus basically tells in verse 14, y'all, Lazarus died. Notice too that in verse 11, he says, our friend has died. I go to awaken him. He knows that what he's about to do, he alone can do it. But the disciples aren't fond of the idea, like, like we said, about going back to this region that, where they almost got killed. Thomas speaks up in verse 16. Who knows if there's sarcasm here or just overt courage, let us go that we can die with him. It's hard to tell if that's sarcasm. I tend to believe it's sarcasm. Um, but in, in either case, when they get to Bethany in verse 17, we learn that Lazarus had been dead for four days, as we described. That's the setup. Um, for God's glory, for their good, let him die before we go. I mean, he waited two days to move, and by the time he got there, he had been dead for four days. I mean, this was not just waiting till he was dead, but like good and dead. <laughs> like, yeah, there's nothing that can be done now. I mean, later, you know, they tell him in verse 39, hey, he's probably going to stink if you open up that tomb. That's the, that's the setup. Let's, let, taking all that into account, let's look at the scene. When they get there, let's look at this. Uh, not surprising, a crowd had gathered, and it says in verse 19 that many Jews from Jerusalem, which was a couple of miles away, had come to mourn with Mary and Martha. Probably means that, that perhaps... Mary, Martha, Lazarus, they were from a prominent family in Bethany to have so many friends coming from Jerusalem to be with them. And it's about that time that Martha hears that Jesus is coming, so she runs out to him before he gets to town. She was the one, by the way, who back in Luke 10 was so busy and anxious, and Jesus, will you tell my sister to help me? That, that kind of thing. So maybe it's not surprising that she was the proactive one in this instance to go out and meet him first. That's when she says in verse 21, Jesus, if you had been here, uh, he wouldn't have died. Probably a lot of emotions in that. I, I'm convinced mostly a confession of faith. She really meant it. No doubt they had heard about the blind man that he had just healed and given sight to. I really believe, Jesus, if you had been here, like, I, I, I just want to confess to you. I know he's dead. I really believe if you had been here, he wouldn't have died. You know, and um, in fact, some of the people were actually saying, some of those people in verse 37 said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? You can almost, when that's the first thing that she says, and that's the, also the kind of comment that the crowd that had gathered there <laughs> um, saying the same thing, you can almost see how it comes up. I mean, I described to you how long, four days would have been in that. Long day sleep, long day sleep, long day sleep, long day. And you probably think the conversation during that time, um, we sent word to Jesus when Lazarus was still alive, he was sick. We sent word to him. Why is he not here? I mean, if he had been here, if he had been here, if he had been here, just why isn't he here? If he had been here, crowd around him yeah he healed that blind man why is he not here why is he not doing what he's it was just so the first when she see him first thing she says if you'd been here he could have kept Lazarus from dying but it was for their good that he was not there Jesus says without it 
they wouldn't have known what he was about to tell them. Jesus tells Martha in verse 23, Lazarus is going to rise again. To which Martha responds in verse 24, like a faithful uh, Jewish lady, she knows, she believes in the general resurrection at the end of the age. I know he's going to rise at the end of the age. That was a common belief in the Old Testament that God would raise his people, all his people at the end of the age. You see that in Deuteronomy 31. You see it in the description of the new heavens and the new earth in Isaiah 65 uh, and 66 in Daniel 12. And you see a lot about the, the resurrection at the end of the age. And you've seen, you've seen it also in John. If you remember back in chapter 6, Jesus said it repeatedly in chapter 6 when he said in like John 6, 39, and this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. Next verse, for this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Verse 44, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. Over and over and over again, Jesus talks about the resurrection on the last day. And it's in that sense that Martha says to Jesus, yeah, I know he'll be raised on the last day. You're missing my point, Jesus. If you had been here, he wouldn't have died at all in this instance. Which is when verse 25 stops everything. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. Jesus is basically telling her, it's good, Martha, that you believe the scriptures. It's, it's good. It's good that you believe in the resurrection at the end of the age. That's true, and it's going to happen. But do you have any idea how that's going to come about? Do you have any idea how God even promised that in the Old Testament? How is it going to come about that there's going to be a resurrection of all of God's people at the end of the age? The answer is me. Me. I am the resurrection of life. Jesus was foretelling his own resurrection here and was saying that it is only as people are united to him personally by faith, it's only through that that they will be raised on the last day. That's why in verse 26 he says, and everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? It's by faith in Christ that this resurrection becomes, his resurrection becomes a guarantee of ours. Martha says in verse 27 that she believes that. But the scene continues when he encounters Mary. Mary comes, and it says in verse 31 that a crowd, all the crowd of people that had gathered came with her, um, which tells you that his conversation with Martha was a, a private one, but now his conversation with Martha, Mary is going to be a very public one. She tells him in verse 32 the same thing that Martha had told her. Lord, if you had been here, your brother wouldn't have died. Tell they've been talking about it. Um, and this is where it gets interesting. It says in verse 33 that at the sight of all of this, Jesus was, quote, deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. It'll say again in verse 38 that Jesus was deeply moved again. You might just think that this just means he was moved to tears and sadness. Everybody around him is sad, so he too was moved to sadness. After all, in verse 35, shortest verse in the whole Bible, uh, he wept as well. Jesus wept. So maybe it, when it says he was deeply moved, it means he was moved to sadness. But this word translated twice as deeply moved doesn't necessarily mean that. Um, 
it was this word translated deeply moved was was used back in chapters chapter 5 verse 7 when the dude who was sitting by the pool of Bethesda remember the the paralytic man was sitting by the pool of Bethesda and we read in that the sick man answered him sir I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up and while I'm going another steps down before me there it means water is stirred up agitated when the water is agitated and in other places of the Bible this word is used of horses snorting right that's that's rather than meaning that Jesus was deeply sad it means he was agitated he was bothered right he was he was even angered a little bit he bristled at the whole situation why why did Jesus look around and and get moved in this kind of way to this situation like bristling at it bothered by it not just sad bothered why because he knew that this whole scene this is not the way it's supposed to be this is not the way that it's supposed to be death is not normal it's not the way God created things to go it's not normal According to 1 Corinthians 15, death is the last enemy. So in this instance, Jesus was not just in the presence of his friends. He was in the presence of the last enemy that he was about to overcome. Which brings us to the sign itself, which we find in the next episode of the story. Bottom line, Jesus goes into town and reminds them that if they believed in him, the glory of God was about to be put on display. He prays in verses 41 and 42. And then in verse 43 it says, When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. It's been noted before um, by many commentators that had Jesus not identified Lazarus by name, all the dead would have come out of their tombs at his command. But Lazarus comes out. Isn't this funny? After all of this, Lazarus comes out. They remove his grave clothes. And that's the end of it. Like, that's how it ends. We don't hear a word from Lazarus. This is the guy who was dead. You, people are writing books. People who have been for 15 years been writing books about having going to heaven and coming back and like, Here's my story about when I went to heaven. Here's what I saw when I had a vision of heaven or went to heaven and came back, had a near-death experience. And blah, blah, blah. Come on, man. If anybody could have written that book, Lazarus is the dude who could have written that book. And if God wanted to tell us, well, he did tell us that at times. It's called the book of Revelation. But over and over again, Paul gets a vision to the, to the third heaven. He was like, oh, yeah, I can't tell you what I saw. Sorry. Lazarus, come out. You've been dead for four days. Tell us what you saw. No, sorry. Grave clothes, done. That's, that's the story. We actually don't hear him, see him any, at all until the next chapter, and he's eating a meal with Jesus. And by the way, when we meet him there, he's not saying, hey, Jesus, why'd you let me die? Just curious. I heard him invite you. You're not slow. Now, he knew that Christ had done him a remarkable kindness. And in so doing, he had revealed his glory in a way that 
he had not yet up to that point. And what was different about this time? I mean, two times before this time, Jesus had raised people from the dead in the Gospels. This is not the first and only time that Jesus raised somebody from the dead. In, in Luke 8, it was the, uh, the, the son of the widow of Nain. Raised that kid from the dead. Luke 10, it was Jairus' daughter. Remember, that was the kind where they, hey, is that, Jesus said he's just asleep, and they laughed at him. He was like, no, nah, serious. What's unique about this time? Lazarus. Because this time he makes it clear when he said, I am the resurrection and the life. Like, that it would be through his own coming death and resurrection that we have eternal life. And all of these other little resurrections are pointing us to that fact. And isn't it interesting that when Jesus actually does go to the cross at the end of Matthew's gospel, that we read that when Jesus died, this is quoting Matthew's gospel, that the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, and the earth shook, and the rocks split, and the tombs also were opened. And many of the, there's just some verses of the Bible, man. And many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised, and coming out of the tombs after his resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many people. People talk about a zombie apocalypse. Like, I swore you died. Like, I need sleep. But Lazarus and all of these other resurrections, little resurrections, were just little signs of the whole resurrection that will happen for all who put their faith in Jesus Christ when he comes again because of his resurrection. No doubt this was a miracle. But there's a reason John would call it a sign, right? It's a sign to point us to us to put all our hope in Christ alone. That's the story. It's really as simple as that. And so for the next few minutes that we have, uh, as we get into groups of two or three, um, to pray for a few minutes before we close. Here's how maybe you might pray in light of this story. I'm just going to give you two ways. One, maybe confess the sin of complaining. Confess the sin of complaining. Because we're often unwilling to hear or consider the good design God might have in hard circumstances. You know? So confess the sin of complaining. If you're not, if you're not prone to be a complainer, good on you. I'm, I'm a complainer. And secondly, uh, just thank God for the hope of eternal life and ask him that he might bring the reality of that to life in your heart and mind. That, that, that the, let the weight, uh, C.S. Lewis called it the weight of glory. Let the, the weight of eternal life lay heavy on you in a good way right in this prayer so thank him for hope of eternal life confess your sin of complaining and reaffirm your trust in him not just for eternal life but for daily bread let's pray for just a few minutes and I'll come back and close us in a moment